The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And today, I'm honored to welcome my guest, Ms. Lena Brook. She is the Director of Food Campaigns for the Natural Resources Defense Council, where she leads the Antibiotics Off the Menu Coalition. She's also a key voice on the Chain Reaction Antibiotics Scorecard Campaign. Ms. Brooke uses her background in advocacy and communications to inform decision makers of all types, whether elected officials, parents, doctors, all of us who need to be aware of the fight against overuse of antibiotics in agriculture, and also simply advancing a just, sustainable, and healthy food system for all. Prior to joining NRDC, Ms. Brooke was a strategic communications consultant, and she co-led Healthcare Without Harm's Northern California Healthy Food and Healthcare Initiative. She earned her bachelor's degree from the University of California at Berkeley and a master's from the Yale School of Forestry and Environmental Studies. She's based in NRDC's San Francisco office. Welcome, Lena. Thank you so much for having me on your program today. Well, I am delighted to know that your focus is on antibiotic resistance. Personally, I have been following this situation. I know that as early as 2003, the American Public Health Association actually called for a precautionary moratorium on new concentrated animal feeding operations in part because of their connection to antibiotic resistance. We have seen the numbers climb to the point where this is now a global health concern. So tell me a little bit about how you became interested in antibiotic resistance and what led you to NRDC in that vein. Sure. I started working on this issue about 10 years ago in my role as the Northern California co-director of the Healthy Food and Healthcare Campaign. And in that position, I was working with hospitals, initially in Northern California, and eventually grew to encompass all of California and sometimes nationally. And our aim was to encourage the healthcare sector to use their vast buying power to shift the food system in a much healthier and much more sustainable direction. Mm-hmm. And one of the most important conversations we were having with decision makers at hospitals, these were mostly food service directors, was around their meat procurement policies and specifically connecting the meat that they were buying, the choices they were making around meat to antibiotic overuse in the livestock sector under the premise that no one should care more about this issue, perhaps, than somebody working in a healthcare facility that mm. is likely relying on these critical drugs on a daily basis to cure what are often life-threatening infections. Exactly. And I worked on that for many years in a variety of different ways, including launching what is called the Balanced Menus Campaign, encouraging hospitals to 
source less meat and use the savings from that program to buy better meat that includes meat that's raised without the routine use of antibiotics and shifted into different positions in my career, as you alluded to in my bio, and was aware that NRDC had started doing around that time some really groundbreaking legal work, putting that pressure to bear on federal agencies to act on this issue that had been dormant for so long and really neglected, and found an opportunity a few years later to join the team and come back to this issue that had been so near and dear to my heart, partially because the years that I spent working in healthcare without harm were also years where I was dealing with a young daughter who was suffering from frequent ear, nose, and throat infections. And we had a really hard time helping her, partially because the antibiotics that were needed to cure her infections didn't always work. They kept coming back and we kept having to try new things and doctors kept having to get creative. And I'm really lucky. Eventually she outgrew that. But I was talking about these issues in the workplace as an advocate and also kind of watching it unfold at home Mm. as a parent and felt that there was no better way for me to continue my career and to put my advocacy power to work than to join this impressive organization and spend as much time as possible convincing folks that this is something that's worth addressing. Yeah, absolutely. And I do want to just say congratulations to NRDC for having a really terrific series of fact sheets on this issue. I mean, I'm sitting here looking at one that talks about how many people contract infections that are resistant to multiple antibiotics, just like your daughter, at least 2 million. Up Mm -hmm. to 162,000 people die as a result of these infections. And this is just in the United States. Even though it's a global problem, we're just focusing on the U.S. right now. And when people say, well, you know, meat that isn't raised with antibiotics is going to cost more money, I like that you also have the figure of $55 billion at least being lost due to excess hospital costs and lost productivity. So I think we have to not only connect the dots between what we're seeing in a hospital or what we're seeing at home to our meat supply, and then also thinking about what's going on at the farm then in raising these animals. And I just want to share a personal story since you shared one with your daughter. I had been reading a lot about urinary tract infections resistant Mm -hmm. to different antibiotics that they used to respond to being tied to the poultry industry. And I was out of town one time on vacation, and I had a UTI. And I went into one of those dock-in-the-box kinds of places where you can just walk in, and they gave me a really powerful antibiotic. should never have been given this antibiotic. It was Cipro. It was one of the fluoroquinolones. And the woman at the desk said, well, it's powerful because we know it's going to work because so many of the other basic antibiotics were not working anymore. But I also had some very nasty side effects related to that antibiotic. So here we are, two people living at completely different parts of the country, both having had direct experience with what happens when bacteria become resistant. And I can't imagine what happens in a hospital situation where 
you've really got life-threatening diseases that are facing the entire hospital population if they're not controlled. Yeah, thank you for sharing your story and the research around urinary tract infections and the connection to the poultry industry is emerging and every new study that gets published is more concerning, frankly. And I think that your experience speaks to the connection between mm-hmm. what's happening in livestock and what's happening in human health. Exactly. Those experiences can't be separated from one another because we're living in an integrated earth system that is more connected than ever. One thing that we often talk about is that antibiotic overuse is certainly a problem in human medicine and one that deserves immediate and urgent attention. But really the livestock industry in the United States actually consumes nearly two-thirds of all medically important antibiotics that are sold for use in the United States. Wow. Just to put that into context. Yeah. It's so interesting that you say that because when I hear people who represent the meat industry talk, the first thing they say is, well, we're not using antibiotics for growth promoters. And I guess we should probably step back and say, a little bit about why antibiotics are used so much in the livestock industry before we go down that path of what the propaganda is coming from the meat industry. But so we're using antibiotics in livestock, clearly the same way we use them in human health, and that is to cure an illness. But what's so interesting about livestock is that the antibiotics are used not only to prevent disease, but also to promote growth. Yeah. So uh, you're right. The vast majority of drugs, of antibiotics that are given to animals are given to animals that are not sick um, and primarily through feed and water. And ultimately, the idea is to give them these drugs on a routine basis to help them survive these crowded, stressful, and often unsanitary conditions on the factory farms where most of our food animals are raised. And historically, there were two main reasons for this routine use of antibiotics. What you mentioned, which is to help them grow faster. Now, this practice has been outlawed as of 2017 by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, the routine use essentially continues now under this so called disease prevention purpose. And the growth promotion and disease prevention are not identical, but there's a lot of overlap in the kinds of drugs that are used for both reasons, in the dosage that are used, and in the practice itself. So we've sort of closed one door, but we've left the other wide open in our federal policy. Mm -hmm. And there is now a, a huge loophole that allows this routine use to continue. Mm-hmm. And this is what I was told by someone representing or at least repeating the message from the meat industry, which is, oh, no, 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 we're not using it anymore for growth promotion. But if we're still using these drugs at low levels to prevent disease, what's not then also promoting growth? And that's really, to me, and it's my understanding, please correct me if I'm wrong, But that is a really important reason why the meat industry uses those drugs. The growth promotion piece? Right. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it seems that whether the intention is disease prevention or whether the intention is growth promotion, the practice is very similar. And our biggest concern is reforming the practice. Mm-hmm. In, in November of 2017, the World Health Organization came out with what are pretty groundbreaking guidelines for livestock antibiotic use that said, essentially, these drugs need to be reserved for times when animals are sick. So to treat an animal with an infection or in a situation where there's a a disease outbreak that needs to be curbed if it has been verified, especially verified by a veterinarian. And that recommendation by the World Health Organization really matches what advocates have been calling for, for the change that advocates have been calling for, for the last five to 10 years. Mm -hmm. We want to be able to treat sick animals. It's the right thing to do. It's the humane thing to do. Right. But we also want to protect our antibiotic toolkit to save it for when people and animals need it most. Right. And I think we've lived in this golden age where we've been able to take for granted the use of antibiotics so that, you know, if we get sick, we go to the doctor, we get an antibiotic, we get better, and on we go with our lives. But there was a time prior to 1945 when Alexander Fleming discovered penicillin. Prior to that, there were things like you got a scratch from a rose bush or you got a little cut somewhere out in the garden or just doing your job. And it led to death. And we've been able to forget about those instances because we've had the glory of these antibiotic drugs. And in fact, I pulled something from Alexander Fleming's 1945 Nobel Prize lecture, where he warned of the danger of antibiotic-resistant microbes, where he said it's the ignorant man who is going to give these sub-therapeutic levels that will go on to develop resistance. So I guess I should ask you, how do bacteria develop resistance? So when antibiotics are used again and again, and especially at these low levels where they're not strong enough to kill all the bacteria that you're trying to kill, some do die, but some remain and flourish. And because bacteria reproduce so quickly, they multiply and spread. And these resistant bacteria, you know, can move through the environment in a lot of different pathways. Of course, I think lots of folks are familiar with potential bacterial contamination through food, right? So that resistant bacteria can end up on our food and cause food safety outbreaks. It can also move from animal facilities through air and water and soil and all of these environmentally mediated pathways. It can find its way into communities through workers and directly through the environment as well. There was a study done a number of years ago in Pennsylvania that showed that the closer people lived to pig farms, the higher their risk was of contracting an antibiotic-resistant infection Mm. like MRSA. Mm -hmm. The science is really strong. It leaves both health experts and medical experts in the U.S. and globally extremely concerned. I sometimes think about antibiotic resistance as almost a parallel global threat akin to climate change. Mm. They're both unfolding around us. 
and really warrant urgent action. Yeah, I agree. Let me take one break and let everyone know that if you're just joining us, you are tuned into Food Sleuth Radio. We are joined by Lena Brooke. She is the Director of Food Campaigns for the Natural Resources Defense Council. She leads the Antibiotics Off the Menu Coalition, and she is a key voice on the Chain Reaction Antibiotic Scorecard Campaign, which we're going to talk about in just a moment. But I want to touch on something that you mentioned And that is how individuals who live close to these concentrated animal feeding operations become carriers for bacteria. So not only is the meat that is brought into a hospital a concern, because that antibiotic-resistant bacteria can be on the meat and then spread within the kitchen facility, but it can also come in through workers who are seeking care at local hospitals and clinics. Similar to the study in Pennsylvania, there was also one done in Iowa. I mean, the evidence just continues to mount. But I think it's important for all of us to recognize that bacteria travel throughout the environment. And the fact that we have two urgent situations, both the antibiotic resistance and the climate change happening at once, where climate change actually exacerbates the antibiotic resistant problems because of flooding. So when you've got these manure pits, and then you've got a flooding situation where you've got those pits breaking loose into local rivers and streams, I'm assuming that that bacteria and that antibiotic-resistant bacteria that maybe had been contained in a pit will then get into our environment faster. Is that a correct conclusion? Yeah, I mean, there is definitely an increased risk of antibiotic-resistant bacteria moving through the environment as a result of, of high-risk flood events. I mean, we've, we saw that happen in North Carolina recently. It was really concerning. And you're right to say that climate change exacerbates antibiotic resistance. In addition to the connection to water and to flooding, I've also seen research that points simply to the fact that in a warming world, bacteria flourish. Mm. It's a more favorable environment for them to to live. Right. And that alone helps facilitate the spread of antibiotic resistance. Right. There's um, a lot to be concerned about here. I don't know if people understand what happens. So not only are we talking about the pits and the risk of having them spill, but it's my understanding, say in the hog industry, for example, that the hog farmers basically, they're under contract with a larger industry. They are left essentially with the manure that they contract out to spread on farmland. And this, of course, goes under the heading of nutrients, right, putting nutrients on fields. But unfortunately, the nutrients then or the manure that is being spread that is a way that we're spreading the antibiotic-resistant bacteria. And I have seen some data, I believe Minnesota did some of the research, looking at crops taking up the antibiotic bacteria from the soil as well as having the exposure topically. Yeah, that's right. And that actually points to something that I often like to remind folks that it's not just meat eaters then need to be worried about antibiotic-resistant bacteria ending up on their food because the practice that you had described when manure that has antibiotic-resistant bacteria mixed in or in it is applied to crops, they can end up on fruits and vegetables. And 
some of the lettuce outbreaks that we've seen in recent years are a perfect example of that. Mm -hmm. So as I was pointing out earlier, there's no dividing line here between people being affected by this or not affected by this. It's just really a matter of time unless we rein in the overuse and begin to think very differently about how we use this precious part of our human medical toolkit and our veterinary toolkit too, unless we really rethink that use, we're going to just start seeing the resistant bacteria and the difficult to treat infections that result from it affect more and more people's lives. Mm -hmm. It's one of those, it's not if, it's when. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah. there's Consumer Reports magazine did a research survey last year, and they found that a really high number of respondents on that survey knew people in their lives that were affected by antibiotic-resistant bacteria. Mm. It was about a third of Americans, Mm. according to the survey. Wow. So this is not an isolated exposure situation by any stretch anymore. And earlier you had alluded to the fact that up to 162,000 people are estimated to die as a result of resistant infections in the U.S. Just to put a finer point on that number, that would make deaths from antibiotic-resistant infections the third leading cause of mortality in the United States after heart disease and cancer. Wow, that's quite alarming. I appreciate you giving that a different perspective because it's really hard to get our head around these numbers sometimes, I think. I agree. I you know, agree. I was I was looking at the American Public Health Association report and again, you've been working on this for 10 years. This report came out in 2003, a policy They estimate that 25 to 75% of feed antibiotics pass unchanged into manure waste, posing additional risks to soil, water, and air quality and public health following land applications. So I think it's also interesting to see the percentage of the antibiotics that just go ahead and pass through the animal and then become out in our own environment. Right, right. What's interesting about that 2003 date, I believe that is the same year that McDonald's started thinking about how to begin to address antibiotic use in its supply chain, in its meat and poultry supply chain that it sources for its restaurants. Mm. So that, that must have been a real turning point for a lot of people. And I am happy to say that 16 years later, we have been able to make progress finally on this issue. Yeah, and let's dive into the chain reaction, antibiotic scorecard, and your work specifically with antibiotics off the menu. It's really interesting to see the work that NRDC has done under your leadership looking at our antibiotics used in the meats that we typically find at fast food restaurants and in the grocery store. And tell me about your reports and your research in that area. Sure, absolutely. So back in 2015, NRDC and a number of allied organizations, I want to really give credit to our coalition members, including Friends of the Earth and the Center for Food Safety, U.S. PERG, Consumer Reports, and also the Antibiotic Resistance Action Center at George Washington University Mm -hmm. School of Public Health. You know, we came together and we thought that there was 
a tremendous amount of opportunity to leverage the real consumer concern and demand for responsibly raised meat and poultry that was rising around that time. And to use that, knowing that restaurant companies really pay attention to what consumers are asking for, like that's their job as corporations to do that. And we thought if we could help connect the dots between that consumer concern and worry about this issue and desire for action and to get these large meat buyers to step up on this issue, that we could make a real difference in how antibiotics are used on farms. Mm -hmm. And we created what's called the Chain Reaction Antibiotics Scorecard that was first released in the fall of 2015. And that scorecard rates the antibiotic use policies and practices of the top 25 restaurant chains in the United States. Wow. And this includes McDonald's, it includes Kentucky Fried Chicken and Subway, and even more of the kind of sit-down restaurants like Applebee's or Denny's and fast casual change like Panera and Chipotle. So if consumers are looking to use their food dollars as votes, as I often recommend, they can go to the Chain Reaction Antibiotic Scorecard and they can find out where they might want to spend their money. If they're going to get a burger, they might as well get it from a store or a restaurant that at least is paying attention to this issue and taking steps in the right direction, right? Absolutely. So last year, we took a slightly different tack with the Chain Reaction Scorecard, and we actually rated the top 25 burger chains on their antibiotic use policies for beef. Mm. And we know that Americans love their burgers, and we know that these burger restaurant chains are some of the largest beef buyers in the U.S., so we really wanted to connect the dots on that. And what we discovered is that only two companies earned A grades on our scorecard, and that was Shake Shack and Burger Fi. So there was a long way to go based on what we saw last year. And in the chain reaction report, I do want to honor the fact that not everybody lives near a Burger Fi or a Shake Shack, perhaps. But there is a whole list of honorable mention restaurants that we put together that are more in you know, smaller regional chains that hopefully allow folks to be able to access responsibly raised meat closer to home. That's great. All right. Well, we will make sure that our listeners have a link to these reports as well as the fact sheets on the Natural Resource Defense Council website, and it's nrdc.org backslash save-antibiotics. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay. Is there anything you want to leave our listeners with in our last 30 seconds? Keep asking questions about antibiotic use practices, whether you're in a restaurant or you're in a, a supermarket, a grocery store. The more that your listeners can talk to store managers or restaurant managers and express their concern and their desire for meat and poultry that is responsibly raised or that have meaningful labels like USDA Organic or Global Animal Partnership, et cetera, that give them assurance that they're buying responsibly raised meat, the more that the word were spread throughout the industry that current practice is no longer acceptable. 
That's wonderful. In closing, I want to thank our listeners for joining us. I want to remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio was produced by Dan Hemmelgarn at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. Most of all, I want to thank my guest, Ms. Lena Brook, Director of Food Campaigns for the Natural Resources Defense Council. She leads the Antibiotics Off the Menu Coalition and is a key voice on the Chain Reaction Antibiotic Scorecard. You can find that at nrdc.org backslash save dash antibiotics. Thank you so much, Lena, for sharing your expertise. And thank you so much for the wonderful conversation. 